absolute honor to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, my wife, Mandy, and I were married in 2003 at the age of 21. And in that first year of marriage, I can say with absolute certainty that the Spanish TV channel Telemundo <laughs> saved our marriage. <laughs> Let me explain. Now, I'm sure all of you in your early 20s in here are mature, reasonable adults. You would never do anything like what I'm about to describe to you. We had two TVs in our tiny little apartment. And for some reason on this day, we were fighting over the one in the living room. I'm not sure why. It was maybe a couple inches larger than the one in the bedroom, but this is what we were doing. I wanted to play video games. She wanted to watch a show. And when words failed to come to a compromise, we just began changing the channel to what we wanted to watch. Back and forth, it went. Now, I was, I was sitting in a chair up near the TV so I could push the buttons on the front of the TV. She was on the couch behind me with the remote. And I was physically trying to block <laughs> the remote signal so that she couldn't change it. And she was trying to like get the angle to change the channel. And so the, the TV channel was just changing all over the place until it finally landed on Telemundo. And we stopped. It's like at the same time, we both got the, the idea to take this like superior position of like, great, this is what I wanted to watch anyways. So, <laughs> perfect. So we sat in silence, stubbornly watching Telemundo for a long time. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched Telemundo. I don't speak Spanish, so it's not a station that I watch often. Uh, but it, for us, it was like a sensory overload. We had never really watched it before. It was bright and colorful and loud. The characters were amazing. We had no idea what we were really watching, but we were captivated by this. And after a while, the nonsense of our fight began to fade. We began to just talk and, and laugh about what was going on. We began to ask each other questions, like, why is there a guy in a bee costume? <laughs> See, sometimes forgiveness comes easy. But if I'm being honest, most of the time it's really, really hard. We're in our, our Christmas series called Regift, and we're talking about the things that God gives to us that we, in turn, give to others. And forgiveness is a gift that we love to receive. We rarely want to give. When we're talking about God's forgiveness of us, we're so grateful. It's the reason why we worship Him. But when we talk about our forgiveness of others, it's hard. It brings to mind our hurts. If someone has, if, if forgiveness is needed, that means somebody has wronged us. And sometimes we're wronged in small ways, and it's easy to get over it. But sometimes we're wronged in ways that make forgiveness of that person seem unjust or unfair. But when we look at Scripture, 
Forgiveness isn't just a good idea. For the follower of Jesus, it's our expectation. And so we're going to look to God's word to see how we forgive, why we forgive, what is forgiveness. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and truth this morning. So will you please pray with me? God, you've given forgiveness to us so freely, and we're so grateful. You know the details of every life represented in this room. You know the places that it seems impossible for us to forgive. You know the places where we've tried and it just seems like we've failed. Father, I pray that you would be near to each of us in this room. I pray that you would speak clearly to our hearts, that we would know and we would understand. Bring revelation through your Holy Spirit that we may know you more. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. And I pray that in Jesus' name. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at a parable, a parable that Jesus told about the unforgiving servant. And if you're new to the Bible, the book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give accounts of the life of Jesus. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is pretty well into his earthly ministry. And he knows that the end is near, and so he's starting to try to communicate the most important things to his disciples. What it looks like to live in community with other people, being a follower of Jesus, and the topic of forgiveness comes up. So Matthew 18, verse 21, says this. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So just before this, Jesus is laying out instructions to his disciples about how they should handle it when someone sins against them. And in the Jewish culture at this time, forgiving someone three times was sufficient to show that you had a forgiving spirit. So Peter chimes in, thinking that he's being super generous here and says, okay, so like you're saying, we should forgive somebody like seven times then. Jesus says, not seven, but 77. This is the nice Jesus way of saying, you've totally missed the point. 77 isn't like an exact number of times that we're supposed to forgive somebody. He's saying you shouldn't be counting at all. And then Jesus uses this parable to illustrate his point. Verse 23 it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So you'll 
You'll remember earlier I said that forgiveness is the gift that we love to receive but rarely want to give. So this is the good part. This is the part of receiving forgiveness. So if you want to title the first half of this parable, God forgives us. In this parable, the king represents God, the servant represents us. We see that there is a debt that the servant owes that that needs to be paid, and there's a punishment for not being able to pay the debt. And the debt, it tells us, is 10,000 talents. This is a huge amount of money. In today's terms, we're talking about multiple billions of dollars. And again, the specific number isn't really important here. 10,000 talents represents an infinite debt. The servant will never be able to pay this. If you made a million dollars a year from the time that you're born to the time that you die, and you live to be 500 years old, you still wouldn't have $1 billion. And this debt is multiple billions of dollars. So when the servant tells the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, that's ridiculous. It's impossible. Either he's a liar or he has no idea about the size of his debt. But how does the king respond? He completely forgives the debt. All of it. He doesn't even do what the servant asked him. He doesn't give him more time to pay. He doesn't forgive some of the debt and ask the servant to pay a portion of it. He forgives all of the infinite debt. And this is the forgiveness of our God. You see that... We are that servant. Our sin is that debt. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. All of us have incurred a debt and there's a punishment that we deserve for our sin. God is perfectly just and he won't allow evil to go unpunished. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin... Or the penalty of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, our debt is too great. There's nothing we can do in our own power to pay it down or to make it right. We can't be nice enough, holy enough, Christian enough. We can't be good enough parents, give enough money, help enough people. There's nothing that we can do in our own power. And that's good news. As Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God knew that we would never be able to pay our debt. So he took the initiative. He sent Jesus to earth to live a perfect life to take the punishment for our sin, to be the perfect sacrifice with his death on the cross. In a single moment, he satisfied the justice for the penalty of our sin and opened up the door for our full forgiveness. We have been set free. Our debt has been paid. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. And so the servant 
now being forgiven this debt, released from his punishment, must be so grateful and so changed by what has happened to him that he must want to go out and do the same for others, right? Just as we all would do. Verse 28 says this, But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the first half of this parable will be titled, God Forgives Us. The second half is more of a question. Will we forgive others? See, God's forgiveness is not in doubt. But clearly, as it's shown in this parable, we have a choice. How are we going to respond to the forgiveness that we've been shown? Are we going to extend it to others or not? And I want to, I want to clarify something before we go back into the parable. Uh, this last verse, you may read verse 35 there and, and think that God's forgiveness of us is dependent on whether or not we forgive other people. But the more accurate explanation is that if we're unable to forgive others, then we may not truly understand what we've been forgiven. It's not that God will forgive if we forgive, but that if we've been genuinely transformed by our forgiveness, by our salvation, then we'll have a desire to want to forgive others as well. And so... We look at this servant who's been forgiven this infinite debt and he goes out to find another servant who owes him money. A hundred denarii. And that amount is not nothing. Now it's nowhere near the amount of money that he owed himself, but it's not nothing. And I think this shows us that the things that we're going to forgive in this life are not insignificant. They aren't trivial. There's a cost to it. But that's why we have to keep an eternal perspective. Yes, we're going to get hurt. Yes, forgiveness is hard, but we have been given so much more. Eternal life restored to the Father instead of the punishment that we deserve. So the first servant goes to the second and demands payment of his debt. What does the second servant do? He asks for patience, for mercy, just as the first servant had done himself. Don't we all want patience and mercy and forgiveness when we're in the wrong, when we owe the debt? But the first servant doesn't extend the same forgiveness that he was shown. 
He throws the second servant into prison until he can pay his debt. His heart was clearly not changed by what he had experienced. So, again, either this servant is deceitful, he's just glad that he got away with his debt, or he has no idea the amount of money, the amount of debt that he has been forgiven. And unfortunately, I think this is similar to many Christians today. We laugh off our sin, or we're just happy that we don't see immediate consequences. We're sorry that we got caught instead of being sorry for what we've done. Or maybe we simply just don't understand what our sin really is. Evil, wicked, rebellion against the God who died for us to offer us everything. Church, if if our hearts are not bent toward forgiveness, then we may not have a proper view of our sin. If we're not a people with, with hearts bent toward forgiving others, then we may not have a proper view of our own sin. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's always possible. Jesus makes it clear in this parable that forgiveness is not an option, but actually a characteristic of those who have surrendered their lives to him. Our forgiveness of others is out of the overflow of how we have been forgiven. And so, I'd like to take a few minutes to define forgiveness, to make it clear what forgiveness is not, what forgiveness is, and then we'll look at some practical steps of how we can forgive. So first, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. No matter how much you've heard it, I don't know about you, but I've, it's pretty easy for me to forget things that I want to remember. Things like names, important dates, maybe some good memories. Those things just kind of fly away. But as soon as I tell my brain to forget something, it gets locked in. Then it starts to play it back at night when you're trying to sleep. You know, when your brain just like sends you every embarrassing moment that you've ever experienced. Can't forget that. You don't have to forget to forgive, but you can't let that memory control you. Next, forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. The healthiest and best form of forgiveness doesn't mean throwing justice out the window. Forgiveness and justice actually work together. And ultimate justice is defined by God, but it's still okay and often right to pursue earthly justice through the appropriate actions or authority. You see, it's not loving to allow someone to continue in sin, but we have to approach them with love and with humility. Next, forgiveness is not instant trust. If trust has been broken, forgiveness does not mean that you immediately give full trust back to that person. Trust is re-earned and rebuilt over time. It's okay 
it's good to set healthy boundaries with people who have wronged us. Forgiveness is also not denying or excusing the sin. We don't sweep the sin under the rug. If we're going to be able to fully forgive someone, then we have to fully acknowledge the ways that we were wronged. And the last one, forgiveness is not deserved. Forgiveness is not deserved. God's forgiveness of us is not deserved. We didn't and can't do anything to earn it. And if you're waiting for someone to deserve forgiveness before you forgive them, you're never going to forgive. And so it's helpful to know what forgiveness is not. So then, what is forgiveness? Well, first, forgiveness is possible. It is possible. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the resources you need to be able to forgive. In Luke 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what forgiveness is. And the disciples' response is, we need your help. Increase our faith. But Jesus tells them it's not the amount of faith that you have, it's who you have faith in. If you have faith at all, if you understand at all what Christ has done for you, then you have what you need to be able to forgive. Next, and I found this one very helpful, forgiveness is often granted before it's felt. Forgiveness is often granted before it's felt. See, we often want to wait to forgive someone until we really feel like it. So we feel like maybe now we're ready. As Corey Ten Boom said in her book, The Hiding Place, forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. So you can grant forgiveness because you know in your heart that it's right. And then slowly take actions toward forgiveness and your emotions will catch up. Next, forgiveness is a commitment to not seek revenge. We've discussed that seeking justice is good. But seeking justice is not about seeing the person who wronged you being hurt like you were wronged and like you were hurt. That's revenge. So there are three things that you can commit to that will help you stay away from revenge. The first is you can commit to not bring the issue up to the wrongdoer to rub their nose in it. Second, you can commit to not bring the issue up to other people in gossip. And third, you can commit to not bring the issue up to yourself. Don't dwell on it. Don't allow that video to replay in your head. It makes you angry. It makes you depressed. It shapes your thoughts and your attitude, not just about that other person, but about life in general. You can't be expected to immediately forget, but don't let that dictate who you become.
Next, forgiveness is easier the more that God is real to you. The more that you understand that your identity is in Christ and your eternity is secure in him, the more you realize that people's ability to hurt you is actually limited. The more we understand that our salvation is by grace alone, the more we see the people that hurt us as fellow sinners in need of God. Forgiveness is giving to others what has been given to us. And so how do we forgive? I want to end by giving you a, a practical framework for forgiveness, some steps that we can take. And of course, every situation is different and unique. And a practical framework is great until you have to put it into practice. Now, this, this outline that I'm going to share with you is not my own. Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller wrote a book earlier this year before he passed away called Forgive, and if you want to go deeper into this topic, I highly recommend that book. But in it, I found it to be helpful for me, but also very grounded in Scripture as he lays this out. And so he describes three dimensions of forgiveness. There's the upward with God, the inward with ourselves, and the outward toward other people. And today, I'm mainly just going to highlight the inward dimension. The outward dimension gets into the relational aspect of forgiveness, into reconciliation, and that is super important also. I just don't have time to go into all that today. And the upward dimension is the part dealing with the character and the forgiveness of God. This is the part that we've already talked quite a bit about today. God's forgiveness of us is the basis for our forgiveness of other people. And this is the dimension that the world leaves out and then wonders why their forgiveness fails. Because they've distorted forgiveness into excusing or self-pity or self-righteousness or some sort of revenge where I've got to get you back or you've got to grovel at my feet until we're eventually even. But true forgiveness is only found through Christ. And so the inward dimension of forgiveness is the work that we do within ourselves through the help of the Holy Spirit. This is the part of forgiveness that has nothing to do with the other person. It's not dependent on their attitude, on their response, or even their apology. It's a form of voluntary suffering that we do that brings about the greater good. So there are three parts of the inward dimension of forgiveness. And the first is identifying with the wrongdoer. We have to identify with the person who has hurt us. You see, when we're wronged, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that that person is a person. They're a neighbor, a human created in the image of God that we have been called to love. And it's really easy for us to want to make that person one-dimensional, fully defined by their sin toward us. Right? If, if someone lies to me, well, <laughs> you're a liar. That's who you are. But if I lie, well, it's complicated. 
you don't know the whole story. I had to lie. One theologian put it this way. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. We have to be able to identify with the person who has wronged us, to see that we are co-humans and co-sinners. The second part is that we must inwardly pay the debt. As our debt was paid by Christ, so we must pay the debt of our wrongdoers ourselves. And this is different than seeking justice. We're not taking on the consequences of the wrongdoer. Right? The, the abuse victim is not supposed to take on the prison sentence of the convicted abuser. That's not what I'm talking about. This is an inward payment of debt. With the help of the Holy Spirit, and it's usually made by small decisions over time. Every time I don't replay that scene again in my head, every time I don't tear down that person's character, every time I refuse to be bitter or jealous toward them, every time I actually pray for them, I'm slowly, choice by choice, action by action, paying down that debt, and in so doing, changing my own heart. The third part of the inward dimension of forgiveness is willing good for the wrongdoer. Willing good for them, not just hoping that a whole bunch of bad things don't happen to them, but actually willing good for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus sets this example for us as he's being tortured and hanging on the cross, about to die. Romans 12.21 says, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The other person is not evil. They are not the enemy. We're to overcome evil with good, for their sake, for our sake, for the sake of any future victims, and ultimately for God's sake. And the best way that we can do that is to pray for them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So the question is not, how much forgiveness do they deserve? The better question is, how much do you want to be free? Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it can certainly change your future. We can't change what happened. We can't change what should have been. Those are thoughts or they're chains that keep us in bondage. They don't help us to heal. But when we forgive, we're able to take steps towards freedom. When we let go of those thoughts, let go of those chains, then we're allowing space for the Holy Spirit to slowly work in us and heal our hearts. 
And our, our past hasn't changed. But now there's a little bit of hope where there used to be doubt. Now there's peace in places where there used to be anger. There's joy where there used to be anxiety. There's community where there used to be isolation. Forgiveness doesn't change our past, but it gives freedom to our future. The key to our forgiveness is a deep understanding of the cross. The more we wrap our heads around the costly sacrifice of Jesus, the more we understand the boundless love of God, the more we'll be in position to forgive others. See, our debt is too great, so there's no place for our pride. But our debt has been wiped clean so that we know that we are loved and secured. Tim Keller says it this way, it makes me hate my sin because it led to his death, but it forbids me to hate myself because he did it for me to make me free. There is nothing that changes you like this. There are no inferiority complexes because I am so loved. But there are no superiority complexes because I am a sinner saved only by grace. This is the position of the follower of Jesus that allows us to freely forgive. So we're going to take some time now to respond to God's word. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to go ahead and come on up. You have freedom to respond how the Lord is leading you this morning. We're going to give you space to sit, spend time in prayer, contemplate the things that you need to think about. And here's the question that I want you to think about. What step do you need to take toward forgiveness? What's one thing you can do to move toward forgiveness today? I'm going to pray, and then you can respond. God, we are not worthy of your love, but you give it so freely. We are so grateful for your forgiveness of us. And I pray, Father, that that would change our hearts. That that would affect us like nothing else ever could. that the realization of that would totally change our outlook on life and other people. God, give us humility. Give us brokenness over our sin.
God, we need you. We are desperate for you. I pray that you would speak to us now. Be near to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name.